Welcome to the Lone Star Collective Podcast. I'm your host, Jesse Williams. I'm joined by co-host Gramps this week. This week, our guest is the Scrooston Scarecrow. How's everybody doing? Doing good, doing good. I'm doing all right. We were discussing right before that we started. Uh, you go by Scrooston Scarecrow. Obviously, there's some anonymity to be had here with the discussion. So we're gonna we're gonna keep that as best we can. Obviously, oh, yeah. like you said, you don't wanna you don't wanna dox yourself. That's our our new age term for all of this doxing. So we wanna start off with let's get a, get a little bit of a background on you. Um, what you do? What you do? Uh, yeah, I uh, I grow pot. <laughs> is the the base of that whole thing and not that kind of guy. Yeah, not uh, not tamper not like completely completely illegal. I guess in this state, kind of weird. Yeah. It's <laughs> it's the strangest thing is telling somebody the other day at an event was that I was like growing pot's legal in this state as long as you have a hemp license and mm-hmm. like well you can't grow pot. I was like you know what you're doing you can really. I was like way the, the loopholes are running out getting kind of really weird. Yeah, I have a couple of friends who have talked about oh you can apparently there are some workarounds with the hemp license um, but I am not allowed to participate in that program anyways uh, because I have a felony from a past grade. Okay. You, you were mentioning to us that before we started. Um, you want to go into that? How much you want to go into that about? Like, why, why don't we start off with when when you got started growing and, and all of that kind of stuff. Start us off uh, at the beginning. Yeah so in uh, in 2002 I smoked my first pot and I my first joint that my friend down the street, Billy, uh, we took it from his parents, as, as young kids do. And um, I knew right away that, like, oh, I like this, you know. So um, I also didn't have much money. And I realized that, you know, like, this is a plant. I need to figure out how to grow it. So uh, I did that quite unsuccessfully for years, um, just getting a little bit better and a little bit better, you know, because back then I didn't have the internet on my phone or anything like that. So it was very hard to, to learn. I didn't even know about photo periods or none of that. Um, starting out, I had to fail terribly and, uh, and walk my ass up to Barnes and Noble and breed as much as I could before walking back home and trying to get it all figured out in my closet. Yeah, I was, that was going to be my next question is where did you start growing? Like, like everybody else in your closet, right? Yeah, in my closet with I don't probably like two gallon, just like regular planter pots that you know my my mom had or what you know just that was laying around really. Yeah. Um, and it, I did not. I mean, geez, it took probably like two years before I actually got a harvest. And even then, it was just like little wispy grass with some stigma coming out of it. Like it wasn't even an actual bud, bud, you know. But I thought it was cool because I did it. It was free. Sure. Yeah, and like sure. you know, I was seeing the good pot, you know, I was buying good pot stuff from the market, so I knew that how good it could be if I could just get it figured out, and that's pretty much, uh, it's just been trying to have better pot. Nothing it's, wrong with that. You remind me of, it's the old thing of, you find a room, you throw foil up on the walls, you get whatever lights you can, <laughs> whatever pots and ceiling starters you can have, and wherever you can grab them, and you're doing everything you can to make the electric bill look like the same from the previous month to the next. Yeah. Yeah, I, you know, I never worried about electric bill, I always figured, you know, as long as as long as you're not stealing it and as long as you pay for it, they they have an incentive to not like get you caught up yeah. at, from the electric company's point of view at least you know because like I, I had a friend who, who like blew up a whole house you know like with light and uh he I don't know he got some like someone with some electrical skill to like tap in before the meter or whatever and mm-hmm. it only took a couple of months you know for, of, of that before that house got raided it's not so 
it's not hard for them to figure that out. Um, not in this day and age. I, I did electrical stuff in the Navy, and I can tell you right now that they've got a meter that taps off that shows everything that's going to any house. <laughs> so the moment you're tapping in and getting stuff that isn't showing up on a meter, yet the electricity still going up, they go, somebody somewhere is doing something. And all they, get, they just go by, and they can visual, visually see it. They see where somebody's put a wire in. Yeah, it's not yeah. hard to detect it at all. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've never gotten in trouble for that, at least. You know, like, that's not what got me rated. I got rated just as a bad decision on, on my, on, you know, everyone's behalf, really. Yeah. Yeah, I so, remember, I remember at one point, I was trying, I, I at one point tried doing this, and I lie, and, and it ended up that uh, first thing I was told was, hey, you know, you gotta go get one of those, what's called, uh, not halogen, but the, the the lights you put over, like, a garage. Yeah, the metal halogen. Yeah, the, yeah, yeah. And I was informed, hey, guess what, those things are gonna run your electric bill up, and obviously gonna be heat coming out of that room. Pay attention to your electric bill, because I was living outside of Colleen at the time, and Apparently, that was something supposedly they monitored was if you had an off-the-wall electric bell out of nowhere. Mm. So when, when, between, like, summer and winter, when you probably should be having the air conditioner not running and the heater not running, they go, oh, why is wow. that guy's electricity through the roof? <laughs> I mean, they're, they're that proactive about it, that they're watching people's electric bills. That's insane. I mean, I mean I, we've, we've got to have better things to spend our tax dollars on, don't we? You think so? Yeah. I mean... It's, I don't know, it, it, we're at a, I think we're at that like tipping point here in the state. Um, and that's that's why I, I've decided to kind of start poking my head out a little bit more because the way I figure it, the way that I've seen in other states with other operators in those states, um, if we don't, I'm not going to be able to have a place, you know, in that future market. Yeah. If other people like me do not at least take the opportunity to try and, and help move things along, because if we leave it in the hands of legislators and you know money interests then yeah, it's going to be one company running everything and you know it, no one who helped build and sustain the market that they're turning legal is going to be able to you know participate in it well i i and I, I agree it's something that goes with it though as well as long term it all it all starts to mishmash one another and people it, it starts to come together it'll break apart and i think like a good example now of like how market can do that is like streaming streaming services we went from having everything on cable and people going, well, I can go download things offline. And yeah. despite that, we started having Netflix with streaming and then Hulu and a couple others. And we pretty much went to three or four main providers and it was great. And it fragmented. Yeah. And now we're back We're back to the cable thing again. And it's slowly coming back together. It, it falls. It, it goes through the cycle. But definitely, I would say like um, our operators, our current operators, they're obviously they want to keep their market share. They're going to do oh, especially the, the, medical, <laughs> the, the medical ones. They want to keep as much market share as they can. But I mean, obviously, a state as big as ours, somebody else is going to have to come in and just meet the demand eventually. Yeah, well, they're going to have to change the uh, the whole way that, that licensing and that whole apparatus works. I mean, the way it's set up now, uh, it, it's number one, DPS don't need to have anything to do with it. It's it's medicine. Why, why are the, the police force you know, having control over that? That's just insanity. Well, the cost of the licensing, too, is yeah. it's quite... I, so I feel like they made the law not to work uh, for starters totally. because of, of using the the language uh, of having it as a prescription. I don't think that they were expecting any doctors to actually, you know, risk their licenses because that's what they're currently doing. Yeah, I know they weren't expecting as many to, that's for sure, because there's a lot more than even I figured would do that. Uh, so I know the lawmakers were saying, ah, maybe one or two join in, you know, but I, how many doctors are there now? 
now. Jesse, do we have a number? I do not have a number off the top of my head. I, I, the last one I saw was well over 1,200 doctors that were signed up. Oh, wow. Well, part of something that kind of slipped out and talking to some people in the industry outside of our state about this, some other some other lawyers, is that DPS here kind of slipped up when we talked about gun laws and gun rights. And they said, well, as far as we know, the way we've set the program up, you're not losing your gun rights if you're in the medical program in Texas. And it was like, wait, what? And they went, as far as we know, we've set our program up in a way that is federally allowable. The only way that would ever work out is if our program falls under the actual compassionate use laws, or otherwise known as right to try laws. And if we're under that, then it's like, then we're federally covered. And it's this weird thing of, is, this, is it mean that they can technically prescribe if we're under federal right to try? And what, what I guess another thing that really begs for us to start asking is, where's the, I wonder where the federal government's going to draw the line at with saying, well, this right to try is okay and that right to try is not. Somehow, I guess the state thinks it's a THC level and to me that makes no sense. Yeah, I would have to agree. Uh, it makes no sense whatsoever. I'm trying to look up and see if I lied about how many doctors there are or not. Well, it's difficult to get a, a lead on that because this last session, they made it where they removed. It's not automatic that the, the prescribers are publicly listed. They can opt out of that. People actually have to go look to see if a prescriber is there, like where the nearest one is. You'd have to yeah, they've, they've, got an, they've got a little search feature feature on the website now where you can put in your county and, and see what doctors are in the county. They're saying as of September 2022, last month, only 632, but I'd swear I heard a number a lot bigger than that. I mean, 600, that's still quite a bit. Um, that's still quite a few. Especially that. with the telemedicine. Like, that's how I got mine was through a telemedicine appointment. Yeah. yeah. And that, it's that COVID, man, COVID made that easier. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody wanted to go to that telehealth. I guess to me, that's the one blessing and biggest blessing in disguise about COVID was telehealth coming this prominent feature. Yeah. So with, with talking about that, you said you're, you're part of the PCUP program, right? Yes. Uh, there. So, the, I mean, obviously, I smoke pot um, it, it, that I grow. So I, I don't necessarily have to be uh, a part of the program, but I feel like it's important um, because the only way that we're going to be able to bring the cost down is by getting making it to where they can make money off of sales and off of like possibly changing to where you can have actual dispensaries be able to hold actual medicine overnight. Um, and at, if we do not have the patient base for that, they are not going to do it. Um, yeah, because right now like, they're making all of the money off of the license. People don't understand after, you know, the first, was it like two or three years? By that point, you've already spent over $500,000 in licensing. And that's with having to get the actual facility up to code before ever actually getting the license, which is also another ridiculous hurdle. Um, like, how do you get an investor with that? Hey, we don't know if we have the license, but I need $300,000. Oh, yeah, it, it, it's way more insane than that, way more than spent. Uh, we got to go into a sponsor break here at the Lone Star Collective. So, yet again, like I said, time for a sponsor break here at Lone Star Collective Podcast. I'm your host, Jesse Williams. I'm joined by co-host this week, Gramps. Our, our guest this week is Cruz the Scarecrow. We'll be right back after our sponsor messages. sponsor of Texas Cannabis Collective and the Lone Star Collective Podcast. Oak Cliff focuses on quality assurance with their hemp products while providing customer service to help you discover cannabinoids to meet your needs. Their product line includes hemp flour, pre-rolls, CBG tinctures, edibles, Delta Eat, and merch. For more information on their product's quality or to shop online today, visit oakcliffcultivators.com or contact them at info at oakcliffcultivators.com. 
Thrive Apothecary offers an experience truly unique from anything else in Texas, a full-service cannabis solution that is doctor-owned and offers customers every level of cannabis legally available in Texas, from traditional CBD products to emerging hemp-derived THC edibles, smokables, and now medical cannabis. As a licensed medical cannabis provider, prospective patients from anywhere in Texas can book a sponsored online eligibility consultation to determine if they qualify for a medical marijuana prescription from the comfort of their own home. Plus, for Texas veterans, their first prescription appointment is donated by Thrive. Visit thrivetx.com for more information. Welcome back to the Lone Star Collective Podcast, the official podcast of Texas Cannabis Collective. Distributed on Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts, Facebook, and much more to give Texans information regarding policy, industry, and culture. Here is this week's host, Jesse Williams and Gramps. Star Collective Podcast. I'm your host, Jesse Williams. I'm joined this week by co-host Grants. This episode, our guest is Rustin Gearcrow. We're talking about the ridiculous amount of fees you have to pay to get a license to do the medical dispensary. And if I remember correctly, you pay like 400 something thousand dollars up front the initial year. Um, every year afterwards is another 300 something thousand dollars. And you have to prove you have, I think it's like what, like a million dollars in liquid asset, Grant? Something like that. It's a ridiculous, ridiculous uh, amount. Uh, in liquid assets that's required. Um, it's just insane. Um, <laughs> it's the only way I know to put it. It's just insane. And and those are some of the major things that we need to get changed. And and you're act- 100% right, Scruston, with the, the idea that the more people we get involved, the more doctors that sign up, uh, the more patients that are, are signed up and actively a member, even if you're not, the meds are expensive. Let's be honest. If you have to pay all those fees, the meds are expensive. So uh, we all know majority of the patients that are on the program are probably supplementing their meds in other ways. Uh, let's just be honest, right? So, but still, if you can get on there, uh, I'm one who's fixing to sign up because I have a, an existing condition, neuropathy, uh, peripheral neuropathy, I do qualify. So I'm going to sign up just before the session here, just so there's one more on the rolls. Yes, uh, and I don't want people to get, um, like the, the medication work. Um, it works very well. Yeah. Uh, it's, uh, you know, mm-hmm. um, and that's, that's a price that's artificially uh, made. Oh, and yeah. This time, not on the company's fault. Like it's one hundred percent this this scheme that they have made for for the way our program is going to run out. Well, they they made it so it would be intentionally inspect. In, I can't even talk expensive so that fewer people would be involved. The very same reason why they made it a necessity for a physician to write a prescription against federal law uh, to be able to participate is to make it difficult. That was their whole plan behind it. I firmly believe that. Oh, the, even was it the first year our program went in place, they didn't license anybody. The first the first two years, they didn't license anybody. The legislature actually had to come back and say, you must license three dispensaries and you must do it by this date. Or it wouldn't even have those. Three dispensaries for the entire state is, yeah. which people in other states, I guess, probably don't quite comprehend how large Texas actually is. Well, it, it, not just the size and space and mileage, but population-wise, you know, there's 30 million people in Texas. Well, when we put the plan in place, as you said, they didn't want people on it. We had one thing that qualified, and it was you had an intractable epilepsy, and they defined it as you, what, you had to go to like two to three different doctors. They had to say that three. you tried almost every medication imaginable, and then from there, 
there, they could put you on this 0.5% THC by volume. Was it, I think, what was it? Even even the amount of CBD, it was like you had to have, what, a one-to-one at the time? I, I think so, yeah. Like, there, it was very limited. Pretty much, I think there was like, what, 30 people grants that were in, in the program? There, there wasn't very many that yeah, first so, year. So one of those things, it wasn't even, why even have three at that point? Which, you know, was a, a success in their eyes because that's what they shot for. But we obviously need more. Like you said, thir- three, 30 people versus 30 million. You obviously, when you get to be 30 million and even half of them or a quarter of them could have access to medical, then yeah, the number of dispensaries becomes ridiculously low. Yeah, and I say well, 30 million, you know, the rate they're moving in, it may be 31 million already. Yeah, well, I, I think people also overlook the in their attempt to make it a non-workable program by writing in that you had to have a prescription. That allowed, you know, that allows a lot of leeway with people and testing. Um in their everyday life, which I, I don't think that people quite uh, take into account whenever, because I, I get into arguments quite a bit um, online with a bunch of different people who don't who don't understand the program whatsoever, um, who for some reason think that it's a flower program or, yeah. or something like that, um, and they, they don't take into account, yes, it may be expensive, but for some people, and I, I would assume quite a bit, it allows protection from the law from certain agencies who might be trying to take things from you um, because you have an actual prescription from a doctor, yep. not a recommendation. That is the biggest thing, especially this last session we added in, you know, like family court side, civil law, we put in that if you, if your child is prescribed this, that cannot be the reason that DFPS comes and pulls your kid out of the home and takes them away from parents. Yep. That if the parents are using, it doesn't even have to be teacup, if they're using, they now have to prove the parent's use is actually causing harm to the child. Yep. I did not know that uh, last part. I know um, the last push that you know, I've actually interacted with you quite a bit, Jesse, on Facebook under a different name, uh, which I can like send you a message afterward. But uh, with you and David Bass um, and uh, quite a bit about, you know, hey, are trying to check in on, on patient protection that are being pushed. Like so they would be written into law and they would have to be, you know, followed by agency instead of up to them whether or not they want it. Something speaking of that, um, something a discussion has come up this year. Year, I tried investigating into is that we as a state don't have a law in place that says that, say, like you go to court and they want to drug test you while uh, you're either wait, waiting trial or during trial or you're on probation, parole. Um, we as a state don't have a law that says, oh, yeah, you're covered if you have a prescription, because usually that's a, that's a federal item. The federal government has said, hey, if your doctor has prescribed you Ritalin, then obviously you're going to pop for cocaine, your drug test. But because it's been prescribed and scheduled such and such, you're cover despite and then this is where it gets tricky talking about like right to try laws if we're under a right to try laws like shouldn't we be covered under a prescription but there's been cases here in texas where people have gone to court and the probation officers won in court and went nope i don't want i don't want i don't want to have them pop on this i don't care if they're in the program and it's like well where's the coverage for that and there is none there's none for anything in this state technically a judge could go you know i don't feel comfortable with you being on ritalin um and i don't feel comfortable you being on adderall doctor needs to find a non-stimulant for your issue. Yeah, that's, I, I think the amount that government officials can, um, can control your life when you are under community supervision or whatever, um, in aspects that they have absolutely zero base in, like medical things or whatever. Um, they, they, have quite much, they have too much, in my opinion, even if if you're not on probation or, or parole for something, in my opinion, 
they're at their nose in our business way too much, period. And in that scenario, it's even tenfold more. You're right. But the thing I said about this, it's come up because of a different topic. And I'm not going to go into the abortion debate thing, but but it's me, it's come up. And it's the same analogy here is that if the state ever says, well, it's supposed to be up to your doctor and then you have to go to court and a judge gets to decide otherwise, it never was up to your doctor to begin with. Mm -hmm. If your doctor says, hey, you need this and the judge goes, well, I don't think so. And the judge doesn't have a medical degree, even though the state is what, hey, you know, doctors get to make the medical decisions and judges need to put that in the factor. Judge can go, no, I don't care. Your doctor never really had the decision. The state did. Yeah, kind of not. Can I I ask you guys a question? Sure. What is the future of the market that you would like to see? Like Gramps, take that one first. I, I've got a, my, got a hot take. my my thought process for what the market should be, not only in Texas but nationwide, should be it should be completely descheduled at the federal level and at all states. And there should be no limitations to possession. There should be no limitations to home grow. If you want to grow it, like you want to grow tomatoes or green beans or carrots in your backyard, have at it, folks. That's the way it ought to be. My thing is, I I love that. I just tell people, I go, if you want that, stop. You're, it's it's something people don't like to say. It's like, you got to stop calling it medicine. And even though you want to use it as such, when you start calling it that, the state and the government gets really weird and wonky about it because, well, we've had a hundred something years of doctors being trained that medicine means X, Y, and Z. And if it doesn't mean X, Y, and Z, it's not medicine. Um, but I totally believe what Grams was saying. I mean, I've even talked to police officers about it who are in favor of legalization, total in favor of it. And their thing is you need to treat it like tomatoes, like any other vegetable, but on the shelf at, at, at worst, possibly you treat it like a alcohol yeah regulated of course. As such, put it down as such go from there and probably the step in between that and this is where I, I sit at right now that i think it's most feasible is to run a medical program the way oklahoma has and that's doctor says hey you need this and you get it i think it will help you the, the, i don't know if you've seen that key and peel sketch where they um the guy's trying to get his medical marijuana and he's just trying to dance around and the doctor's like well do you have this problem are, are you in pain and the guy's like i got AIDS. I got, I got this <laughs> and the doctor finally just slaps the living snot at him he goes does that hurt yeah, he goes here. Here's your here's your marijuana prescription. <laughs> Yeah, it ought to be pretty simple, cut and dry, in my opinion, uh, as it was before Prohibition ever got a hold of it in the first place. Okay. I get where there's people that have concerns about going beyond the medical program with what we've seen here in the U.S. It's that everywhere we had a medical program first, and then it went into legalization, the quality of the marijuana went down, and the patients wound up losing out on it because they didn't have the quality they needed out of it. Well, that goes back to the lack of, of proper regulation. They try to just tax shit out of it and call that regulation. That's what I've seen, you no. Well, they, they set up uh, mandated middlemen, um, mm-hmm. which if if I'm grown on my farm and, you know, because of the law, one day I'm able to go into the back of a dispensary with a couple of pounds. They get the product, move it on to the patient. I walk away with my money. And then the very next day, because the laws take effect, I now have to have my product bought by a distribution center that hopefully gets it into the hands of dispensaries before it starts going bad. Because we're not we're not dealing with liquor or something like that that holds pretty much forever. Yeah, yeah. Um, and if they have their own grow because they're a vertically integrated company, my stuff is probably never going to see the shelves for at least four or five months. Yeah. And, and you you make a point there that people do this. And I remember remember watching a long time ago about when. California was doing it the way you talked about starting off with, where they had these people who did these grows. One of the things they were looking for was like spider mites, and they look for mold. Go through like a little jeweler's glass, and they're looking at it really careful, and they do a lab test on it. But like people don't realize that if you, even though you put it in a bag, put it away, it can still grow mold. It can still 
get bugs that get into it and cause problems and wreak havoc, especially the longer and longer it sits. Yeah, if you have a product that sits there for five months, obviously you pull it out and you're like, this doesn't smell good. There's, there's something wrong with it. People can't ingest that. They're going to go to try to smoke it. It's going to fuck their lungs up. Yeah, if I only knew about mold when I was a kid. <laughs> <laughs> Because I can promise you the, my plug, that's all he had was moldy weed. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's a very it's a very touchy thing, um, growing quality products. So we have got to go into our next sponsor break here at the Lone Star Collective Podcast. I'm your host, Jesse Williams. I'm joined this week by co-host Chris Grants-Rodolia. This week's guest is the Scrooge and Scarecrow. We'll be right back after our sponsor messages. is a sponsor of Texas Cannabis Collective and the Lone Star Collective Podcast. Oak Cliff focuses on quality assurance with their hemp products while providing customer service to help you discover cannabinoids to meet your needs. Their product line includes hemp flour, pre-rolls, CBG tinctures, edibles, Delta Eat, and merch. For more information on their product's quality or to shop online today, visit oakcliffcultivators.com or contact them at info at oakcliffcultivators.com. Thrive Apothecary offers an experience truly unique from anything else in Texas. A full-service cannabis solution that is doctor-owned and offers customers every level of cannabis legally available in Texas. From traditional CBD products to emerging hemp-derived THC edibles, smokables, and now medical cannabis. As a licensed medical cannabis provider, prospective patients from anywhere in Texas can book a sponsored online eligibility consultation to determine if they qualify for a medical marijuana prescription from the comfort of their own home. Plus, for Texas veterans, the first prescription appointment is donated by Thrive. Visit thrivetx.com for more information. Welcome back to the Lone Star Collective Podcast, the official podcast of Texas Cannabis Collective. Distributed on Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts, Facebook, and much more to give Texans information regarding policy, industry, and culture. Here is this week's host, Jesse Williams and Gramps. Welcome back to the Lone Star Collective Podcast. I'm your host, Jesse Williams. I'm joined by co-host Gramps this week. This week's guest is the Scrooston Scarecrow, my ridiculous moldy weed. Isn't that the great thing to be having on your mind as you're listening to a weed podcast? One of those facts of life. Man, now I got that song stuck in my head. You know, I'm going to get Chris. <laughs> <laughs> the last thing I need is 80s television shows, theme songs stuck in my head. <laughs> You're welcome. I, I, I laugh from that the rest of the night. So, Scarecrow, you we were talking a little bit. You mentioned a little bit earlier. We talked a little bit before the show about um, you went through a raid. And I am I'm not gonna lie. I'm a big fan of learning from others' mistakes. And anything can make it more <laughs> difficult for the cops. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, you know, it's uh, causing a ruckus. I'll say. Uh, I don't want to say exactly what happened because that kind of narrows down uh, who, who I could be. Um, but there, you know, some bad decisions and a lot of loud noises um, got the cops called, uh, which had happened before, um, but the constable who came out was real cool about it and stuff. Um, he told us, you know, hey, y'all just keep it down. Uh, your neighbor goes to work at night for bleach during the day. Just chill out. Um, and my roommate didn't, you know, 
didn't even think about that uh, a couple months later and our neighbor just kind of had enough with us uh so yeah he called the cops you know told them oh they're drug trafficking and shit like that um so they showed up you know the whole whole nine with the guns and whatnot yeah um i denied them entry and because i met them out on the porch trying to like nah you're gonna you're you're gonna at least have to wait here no warrant and then uh they heard my dogs and you know they told me hey you know i will get this warrant and when we do and we come in there i really hope that you know your dogs don't don't scare me too much because you know they might they might end up getting shot um and me being you know a sensitive fuck I, I you know like they let me go put my dogs in the cage and like promise that they wouldn't kill them so I let them in after that and um I had some people over um and you know they sort of splitting us up and all that um my friends were pretty solid and uh, I told the cops like oh all this shit's mine everything in here's mine so they ended up letting them go luckily and uh yeah I mean search search my house and shit uh just found a large quantity of, of pot and hash and and, uh, yeah, luckily my, you know, my grow was like EC, like I heard I decommissioned my grow like a month before that, uh, cause I was moving it. And, uh, which honestly it doesn't really matter because, you know, I got a first degree felony. It's not like they, they weren't going to give me a capital offense for growing the weed, you know? So, um, which actually is something that I don't think people in this state understand. We don't actually have laws against cultivation. Um, what happens is, is, you know, in that cultivation, that is possession of it, uh, which is often why if cops find out that you're growing they will wait if they can to bust you until like right before harvest or right after so it's as heavy as possible mm-hmm. even though it's mostly water but you know they don't care about that what's what's strange now you you say that and i didn't realize it with our hemp law going in place they now do have a method to go after you under cultivation because they could go after you and say you were growing hemp without a license up until that starts to flower and the thc comes out it's all legally hemp now which i have thought about and talked about I, I talked about with a Texas hemp like organization, like, hey, what's the what's the charge for illegal, you know, growing hemp without a light? Because either way, it's not like those dudes don't pop hot at a certain point, you know. Like, so this is a plant, and I don't think that the lawmakers understand that you can't just flip a switch and make it stay under a certain amount of THC. Sometimes yeah. that just happens. Yeah. Um, so it I, it makes me wonder how messy things could get in a case if you were to try and just say, hey, I'm an unlicensed hemp grower and if it's at a certain point where you have enough resin content to you know pop hot just saying oh well i guess that you know i guess that's hot hemp. i don't know what to tell you you know like obviously you're gonna get arrested you can go to jail shit, but how will that play out in court and what president what is that afterwards you know what did they tell you <laughs> that's what i want to know what did they tell you about that <laughs> oh no one has any answers <laughs> you know like no one's dumb enough to try good at this point oh, someone's got to do it one of y'all that's listening we We've seen the inverse of it. We had the guys on uh, the Sky and Hobbs uh, out in Navarro County that they had their licenses. They had everything in order. And the sheriffs came out and was like, no, you're grilling pot. And got them for, for having pot. Yeah. It took a year for them to finally drop it because they are like, well, you nobody told us. We didn't know. I thought they were supposed to keep up on current law. Isn't that what law enforcement's supposed to do? Isn't that <laughs> their job? Law <laughs> enforcement? Isn't that part of that? Knowing the law? <laughs> Just saying. Qualified immunity, my ass. <laughs> <laughs> That's a whole nother subject. We don't even want to go down that the rabbit cop, hole tonight. The cops these days act like the villain from Lethal Weapon 2. They stand there. I got diplomatic immunity. Pretty much what they're doing now. <laughs> 
moment of silence mm, mm, for that. <laughs> so uh, I was going to ask you, you your your uh, Instagram is is about seeds. So do you do you provide seeds to people, or, or is that something you're starting to do? Tell us a little about that. Uh, well, you know, like at, at a certain point. Um, so the way that I grow, I like sifting as large uh, populations as I can to be able to to truly find like a real keeper, the actual unique one out of you know the hundred instead of I, I see some people say oh yeah this is my keeper cut and they only you know pop three feminized seeds you know so you only have three individuals to look through um, and just in, in doing that I guess I kind of I got really interested with how things um, pass like how traits pass from parents to progeny and the weird interactions that happen um, so I I mean I, I only do this for myself really because um, I like good pot and I do want other people to have you know better pot so if right now i'm i'm kind of like part of a seed club i guess okay. where we're just a couple of dudes you know who all have the same passion in doing this sure. uh, just working together to be able to look at more plants really uh to be able to make stuff and actually like move projects along that, much that more than we did with our own garden that, that explains it perfectly i just wanted to kind of clarify a little there because you know people look and look you up on your instagram and whatnot and see that and think hmm, i wonder and then start bugging the crap out so now maybe you won't have that problem (laughs) oh no so I I don't plan on really like because it's going to happen here right they lost there's no coming back oh no no. we're going to end up yeah Um, but like I don't really want to be an operator in that future market you know like at least not in any like real capacity Um, but what I would like to do is help the other operators here because I feel like our our climate what 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 people on the on the on the larger scale are not quite grasping yet is that this is an agricultural product right everybody wants you know these certain cut oh i need that flower i need that flower but what they should be doing is figuring out what people like about that cut like what flavor they're looking for whenever they're like oh i want this kind of pot specifically they need to find that flavor and something that works for their region because at some point when we get far enough down the line this is going to be treated like an agricultural product the, the majority of the market is going to be mixed like greenhouse uh, just because that it's not cost effective like you see businesses going down right now all over the country in these legal states because it, there's not a risk anymore they're not you know hiding from cops and robbers all the goddamn time they're not going to jail and shit like that not, at least not the way they used to be um, so the prices drop they're able to do a whole acre or blow out you know 20,000 lights in one warehouse like crazy shit you know that you do even if you had the balls to do you couldn't do that here you know like you at least not for long um and that's going to drive the price down and you're gonna there will still be like the new market for very very high quality indoor pot that's always going to be there sure. but you can get i think better pot in a in a mix like greenhouse um just because no matter what light you use it's never going to be the sun you're never going to get you know those nuance uh those nuances in the final product from your environment from your soil from the area that you are in imparting you know the quote-unquote terroir on, onto a, that product um so i want to be able to make things for that future market the very future so that people in our area 
will be able to grow, you know, long flowering varieties because we can take shit to December most years. And you can't do that in the majority of the country. So when it is able to be moved across state lines, I think that is where, you know, we will have an edge on the market. If everyone's growing, I don't know, just name whatever random kissing cousin cookies bullshit is out there. If everyone's growing that, we're all going to be cropping it at the same time. Where the market's just going to be flooded. It's not going to be worth it. But if there are Texas farmers who are, you know, if people know, oh shit, we can get those those special unique things that, you know, people in Washington, you know, Northern California for the most part, just anywhere above a certain point in the United States, they just can't grow because their season is not long enough to support it. And that's that's the type of stuff that I'm working on. Because um, I just want to be able to, you know, I, I make my money elsewhere. I just want to be able to provide tools for our region to be able to succeed and like have a place at the table because I think we deserve it. Absolutely. Awesome. Absolutely. Well, it is getting to be that point in time where we wrap up our show here at the Lone Star Collective Podcast. We, we thank you for you for joining us, giving us your time, Bruce and Scarecrow. Really been appreciated. It's a very interesting conversation we've had here. Just insight about the other side of the market we normally don't hear about. Yeah. We really appreciate you joined us this week. Thank you, you for having me. you got any final thoughts you want to put out? I was just going to say, you know, you, you talk about more and more people getting involved. Have you got any last minute advice for people who, like yourself, maybe, and how they can do what you're doing and getting involved and pushing this subject forward? On the legal aspect, is that right? Yes, yes. Uh, I mean, the telehealth appointments, it doesn't matter where you are, you can get them. Um, the program does, uh, I think that there is, you know, delivery in at least uh, Texas OG does delivery. Um, but there's also like pop-up spots and kind of like a dispensary where you can go and pick up your medicine in your city. Um, I don't know, people just need to start, you know, it's okay. You know, we're all adults. We enjoy this thing. We need to start kind of poking our head, you know, within reason of where we're at. But we need to start poking our heads out a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. All righty. Appreciate you giving your, your feedback and your input on this. It's been a hell of an interview. That's going to do it for this week here at the Lone Star Collective Podcast. I'm your host, Jesse Williams. I'm joined this week by co-host Gramps. This week, our guest was the Scrooston Scarecrow. We had an interesting conversation about the cut market, the legal market, the illegal market, future of Texas, and having the proper genetics and growth to have here. Thank you, everybody, for their time. We hope that if you're watching the YouTube version of this, you give us a like and a subscribe. so other people can get this in their feed and they can get news and updates. Hope everybody has a great week and enjoy yourselves. Be safe.